Hello and welcome to the Tech Lunch Podcast, where we encourage our listeners to learn something new about tech every week. This can range from learning about new and exciting applications to the advancements in coding and technology. If you are always learning, you will always be a step above the rest. Take the time during lunch or during a break to listen and learn, kind of like a lunch and learn, but for the years. This podcast will open the listeners' ears to new and exciting technologies they may have not been purviewed to in the past. These topics will range from manufacturing technologies to data collection technologies and everything in between. Hello, I'm Nick. Hey, I'm John. Hello, I'm Ed. And, you know, this week we're going to continue on down that uh, 3D printing, I guess we can call it now a rabbit hole, mm. um, that we're, we're trying to get down to the end of it, you know. Um, however, I don't really, you know, kind of think it can, you know. There's, Does it have to have an end? No, no. <laughs> the problem is then we start dealing with Disney movies, yeah, um, yeah. you know, movie. and we start <laughs> back in that little, you know, Mary Poppins type of land, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, spoonful of cheer. Um, you know, but that, you know, we start getting down that random road and, you know, I think we're really going to start continuing on, on the, uh, I guess the, the, the quality side of the house, you know, but on looking at the difference between, you know, the hobbyist, the, the, what, you know, most people are these days to your, you know, commercial applications, um, and, you know, how that has, uh, I guess, impact yeah. On, on, on different things. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's just, you know, one side of us. But, you know, when you're thinking about that, John, you know, what, what are you kind of thinking? Um, yeah, going into, I, I love quality, honestly. It's, it's such, there's so many things and so many pieces that you can kind of touch on um, with, you know, quality of, you know, life, quality of your print. Like, there's so many things. But when I'm thinking from a hobbyist side, um, I, I'm... If I'm not selling these pieces, if I'm not making uh, functional prints that I rely on for you know situations that might be dangerous, then I'm less. I'm actually less worried about the quality. I'm more worried about um, maybe some of the other things like uh, quantity or things like that. But but when I get into it, is maybe I'm thinking about it the wrong way. Is is why does it, why do I need to be the one impacting? the quality and, and everything that I'm doing with all these test prints, we always want to get to this autonomy and, and we're always talking about, I have to, I have to do this change or this change or this code. Uh, why can't we have, uh, I would like to see, um, the machine work for us more. Um, Ed actually brought a fantastic example of, you know, a, a printer that's like fresh to the market. I don't even know how many are being made right now. Uh, but Bamboo Labs made made one that's incorporating lidar, um, and to me, lidar like these technologies are are so advanced that it's it's going to to get us closer to that. What is it called in Star Trek? It was the it was like a um, the phaser. Uh, not the phaser, but it, it's create like we were looking at other, creating the food a particle like um, particle sorry condenser or something like that. It was creating the food that they were making, or they would you know go over to something, press a couple buttons, and a hmm. you know a da- like a steak would pop out or something. They would be able to create the food, and, and not in a sense, or maybe Fifth Element if you've seen that movie. Yeah, I guess yeah. that was more dehydration, but the same idea is like I've got this this uh, material. I want to be able to press play and go. And then it makes the thing while also like ju- like. Uh, I'm gonna step on here on a limb here, and think you're thinking Jetsons. 
I mean, honestly. Yeah, I'm talking about bubble cars, right? No, no, no. Uh, yeah, listen, listen, cars that fly, I need you to hear me out. <laughs> next thing you know, we'll be going ludicrous speed. But, but, yeah, we probably already are. But oh, funny enough, the bamboo has ludicrous speed on the printhead. Yeah. So that's, that's hilarious. Uh, but no, the, these things that, that we're talking about, it, 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 we're, we're touching on the quality of your print. But we can also think about the quality of life of the person who is attending to the farm. Uh, so the hobbyist, like if I'm making a farm and I've got 10 printers, like I know 10's a lot, but it's a lot of upkeep. And, and my quality may be there, but what is the quality of life of the person who has to do the upkeep? upkeep? And that's, that's why I want to go towards that autonomy um, kind of mindset. And I think that gets a lot into the industrial side um, because what are we working towards every day in production? You you want this process to work without... To, don't bother me because I want this process to work nonstop. It needs to be 100% yeah. efficient. So, like, when, when I think about, like, the technologies that we incorporate, LiDAR, like, uh, we, like we were talking about the... Uh, honestly, for that bed leveling, where they, they run a couple layers and they even do LiDAR on the layers to see what what the printer's flow rate is or what the, the hot end's flow rate is. So it's not only is it attempting to level your bed, it's fixing the flow rate of your filament. That is game changing. It's two processes in one. And, and then when you go into that speed, if you can control the enclosure and increase the speed a bit, your print time for something that's substantially large goes from two, three days to six hours. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's game-changing in how fast you're going to be able to print. It's game-changing in the quality. And it's game-changing on the quality of life of the person attending to those things. So mm. that's kind of the, the, one of the things I think about because it does get... Like, my AC broke the other day. I was scared to turn my printer on. I didn't have the full enclosure on both of them. It, I, I'm not going to be able to do those things without, you know, a bit of control. And also, because the temperature is so much hotter outside, what's that going to do to my printer? Like, we don't, we don't turn on a printer in 80-degree heat. <laughs> so, like, it's probably not good for it. So, it's probably going to be uh, not good for your print. Well, so the, the Marine Corps was shipping printers to, you know, Afghanistan to yeah. print parts for vehicles. Yeah. So, you know. I guess it depends on the material you're making. Because if you're talking NASA, they're shooting it into space. So, they're going to be making it a bit more... Uh, more robust, robust. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, infill. but when you think about that, yeah, autonomy is the is the biggest thing. But what kind of ideas on a commercial level? Uh, I mean, I guess Ed or Nick, who are, Nick or Ed, whoever want to kind of touch on the topic, uh, industrial side, the quality that would need to happen or the, the improvements that would need to happen to maybe some of the printers that we already have in a production environment. Like you talk about lidar, we have a couple enclosures. They put an AC unit in one of them, but is that enough? And what other technologies? Yeah, that's that's when you start getting the repeatability. Um, yeah. You know, and like we were talking about, you know, the, making things autonomous, make them work for themselves. Um, you know, and the thing is, is even your small hobbyist printers mm. can go commercial. You know, it's you know, and all that is is just replacing a couple parts and going from there. It's like we, we've talked about before is, you know, is improvement. You know, we have, we must improve what we have. However, software is going to do that for you 95% of the time. If you set your software up correctly, the software will run your system for you. You don't have to do anything to touch it. I was going to say, so let me ask you this then. So increasing the software or the firmware, mm -hmm. um, do you think even on a hobbyist level that that would be kind of 
honestly, we've talked about improvements you make. That Maybe that should be their first steps. I would say right? so. Yeah? Because the thing is, is also at that point, you start really dealing with, you know, does do I have sensors on board? What type of sensors do I have? Can I take those sensors and throw them into an MQTT interface, taking those and send them from, um, uh, you know, some of our management softwares that we have out there, the external management softwares mm-hmm. that are off printer, um, and sending those to a cloud-based scenario where you can go back and look at it with Kibana or Grafana or, you know, some of those other ones that you want to look at with and kind of dive into things. You know, kind of do, you know, you can even throw in a Power BI if, you, if you're a Microsoft fan. And, you know, really do some preventative maintenance on your printer. So you're actually want, you're actually can see if you have a latency in your drives. So if your NEMA 17s aren't spinning at the 1300 RPMs they need to be spinning at, they're spinning at 1250. You know, on one print, the next print you see them run at 1200, you know they're going to die soon. You know, now it's time to replace those before they do die and really, st- and really sticky in the mud later on. You know, if you notice that your, your print head is, is getting cooler and cooler and cooler after every single print and it's not actually producing what it needs to produce, that means that print head's going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to be preventative in nature. You know, I, I'm the type of person that's going to that, that's gonna tell you that, you know, we need to be, you need to prevent problems from happening because putting a Band-Aid on it and repairing it later is a bigger pain in the butt mm-hmm. than you'd ever deal with a day in your life. You know, it, and the thing is, is right now, if you take data from every single data point that you have, you can turn around and turn and make that into something major. And now the LIDAR situation, if you think, if you think about that, if I could take that LIDAR and take its measurements, throw it into, a, into an MQTT interface and shift it off to something else, now I can actually see what's going on at all times. I know if that bed moves or shifts or warps. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, if you tell me that you have four points of reference, or if you really want to do, you know, something different, you have eight points of reference. And one of those eight points of reference is a millimeter off six months later, then it's two millimeters off the next month after that because your bed is warping bed because is of heat. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you start, you start talking high heat applications. You know, it's like, you know, you and me have talked about the OT standpoint. If you start dealing with a, you know, non-commercial printer, which you can make, or a, a hobbyist printer that you can make commercial, and vice versa, however, you don't want to go out and spend the money on a commercial damn printer. You know, if we can start at a hobbyist level, make that commercial and, and, and go that route. However, if you start thinking about it, if you attack from the OT standpoint on that, you start worrying about, you know, measurement drift and pull heights and stuff like that, stuff that you're dealing with, wear speeds. You know, if you think about it, if you can, if you can take care of all those, how much faster could that make the preventive maintenance standpoint if data is there for you? Yeah, I think that if, if we're talking industrial, when you, when you say industrial, industrial means that now I have the um, advantage of using three-phase power. And the higher the uh, voltage, the lower the current. So now I'm running more efficient with, with, that, with whatever what I'm, with the things that I'm using. So, for example, now I can use servo motors. And with servo motors, I get feedback and I'm more accurate. Um, then I can use, you know, different type of servo drives and things to work with the servo motors. So now I can, I can have those things into a, a greater tolerance. Um, far as heating, now I can use, um, uh, if I have a heating bed, I can control the heating on the heating bed a lot more because I have a, a lot more area to do those things. And as far as the head, I can have a bigger head. I can increase the size of the head. Or I could add multiple heads. 
because now I have those things. But when we're, when we're talking about the difference between the two far as from a hobbyist point of view to right now we would say commercial because we're not really at an industrial level yeah. far as what we would call production of um, widgets. Mm -hmm. um, we're probably at medium level. So, for example, that would be equivalent to a guy that has a CNC machine that's making some yeah. parts for a factory. Yeah. Maybe he's making 100 of these parts a month. So that would be where you would try to get to, as opposed to having 10, one that could do the work of 10. And the way you would do that, you would probably look at, you know, increasing either um, heads. I have multiple heads that can work on multiple things at multiple times. Mm -hmm. Or I would look at um, increasing the speed without any uh, deviation from printing and print multiple things at one time. You know, as long as I control the environmental factors inside of it, so I would have an enclosure that's closed, I would probably have that heated yeah. so that I could control the temperature so that I do not have any deviation between layer to layer. Uh, and then the other thing is when we're talking about uh, technologies like LiDAR or we talking about um, technologies, it's not, it's not simply put a LiDAR sensor on the end of something and take measurements. It's to have a LiDAR sensor that has is in a closed loop system that's working with another sensor and those sensors compensate. So now we want to compensate. So think of it as if I had a thruster and the thrusters have to uh, um, be at a percentage. Now I can do things in percentages. Maybe I can do things like predictability. I can predict because I'm taking this information and using MQTT and IoT things and putting it into um, like um, mosquito and um, doing some things with um, uh, say like um, Kibana Elastic or maybe I'm using Power BI, maybe I'm mm -hmm. using No Red, whatever, whatever system mm -hmm. you want to use. But now you can take this data and you can do it. The display is for you. The system doesn't need the dashboard. Yeah. The dashboard is for you to have all your information in one place to make yeah, decisions. Yeah. But what if the machine could take that and that dashboard was something more to the machine and the machine did some corrections to itself. For example, we was talking about, a, you know, we was talking about the printer that basically it has some AI where it can, it can uh, identify spaghetti. You know, when you start getting spaghetti in your uh, print or when you start getting artifacts in your print. What if I was able to say, oh, stop. What if I started to deviate? Stop. Why roll, why roll out a whole spool of filament, which is not cheap, and I can just stop and say, okay, we'll just scrap that one. Mm -hmm. Stop there, and then, you know, if you want to override and keep printing, then fine. i give you that option. But I'm going to send you a, a, a message to say, hey, I'm stopping until you make, you, uh, make an adjustment. So... I would think those things, so some type of assistant that would have worked with these systems that would take it from hobbyists mm -hmm. to like Nick said and you were saying, I don't have to sit at the machine and tend it. It's not machine tending. Yeah. That's yeah. not what 3D printing was meant to be. Yeah, no. So that that's what I think. So what do you guys think? Uh, I wanted to kind of touch on something and, and, and if you wanted to speak on it too, mm -hmm. you can because you showed it to me and and... I never really thought about it as much a detail until then because it didn't quite make sense at first. Uh, but we, we looked at flow rate of uh, not the filament, but but you all of these printers have 
uh, an exhaust vent or, or like a vent that's uh, or a fan that's cooling down the the filament as it's laying down because it's getting it's coming out of the nozzle at about two well, 2.30 upwards of depending on what you're printing close to 300 um, honestly I'm not getting anywhere near that on a on a, um, a hobbyist or, or, or a, um, like an Ender or Prusa we're not getting to that point without a couple major upgrades yeah. um, but when you get to that point, you, you, you need some bit of cooling when it gets to the bed because the bed is going to be 70. There's going to be a couple hundred uh, degrees Celsius difference between those two. So it needs some type of cooling. It needs some t something to control that. And, and we, we saw something from, uh, from Siemens that was looking at the, the fluid dynamics of that flow um, because for me... On the hobbyist standpoint, I mean, I, I so I have the, I have the physics degree. I don't have a fluid fluid dynamics focus, but mm -hmm. I can see the I can see the merit in understanding the flow of that. So I'm I have an actual like a physical test where you mm -hmm. have uh, different types of exhaust fans or ducts on the hot end, and you put it above you know uh, like a petri dish with water, and depending on how deep it could push that water down without penetrating that surface is you know that's how much your blower is going to affect your print and in that sense there are a couple bullseyes is one of the the biggest on on thingiverse that you can get for the ender but you can 3d print these things we, so that's just the basic idea for me the inside of these are hollow because it needs to be hollow for the air to flow yeah but what we found with something that siemens um a program siemens is running is they they track the airflow and they can see where more more energy is being used to, to create flow and it's losing that energy and not getting to where it's so it's not let's say it's not a hundred percent efficient in its airflow um but then they modeled uh the they filled in the gaps pretty much where they were having issues and they modeled a better duct yep. the same dimensions on the outside the inside of the duct isn't fully empty or hollow but it's got some things to kind of help direct that flow and then they changed what was it it was like 20 22 percent increased efficiency mm -hmm. that's absolutely ridiculous to me that that you can that no one's done that before because these are things that people are just making at the house um so why not run it through a simulation and that simulation probably ran thousands of times into a database with mqtt or something similar mm -hmm. that we've been talking about and it makes that correction for you so it's it's making your piece more efficient that's game changing. I, I mean, that's to me. If you learn that, you've you've got efficiency down. And the thing is, I think if you're starting to do usable prints, you know, and you're talking about, you know, prints that could have a you know a life or death meaning, you know, depending on what they're used for, you know, that's definitely something where you know you go really from the hobbyist to the the, the industrial, you know, standpoint because of material, your you know, hobbyist printer, and we're going to throw this out there because, you know, the last thing we need is somebody saying, well, they said we can do it. No, we're not saying you can't do it. Um, make something that, on your hobbyist printer, do not try to make something that is, you know, life or death. No. You know, please don't try that. No. You know, you can't do the, you cannot do the, the filament, you know, on your printer at, at, a, at a high enough rate and at the quality that you need that will keep people alive. Um, however, with that, uh, you know, if you're going to build, you know, like flow tables and stuff like that, and you're going to use your 3D printer to print out a diagram 
of like what you're going to build. Like if you're doing like household piping or something like that, yes, go ahead, burn it out. You know, it, it works. If you're going to say, hey, I'm going to build a oxygen system into a hospital or into a house, that'll be life or death. Yes, go ahead, print that out, test it, and then build it out of full material, right? But if you can take that and throw that in like SolidWorks, you know, if you don't have access to Siemens and X, um, and you want to go into like SolidWorks and stuff like that and start going through that computational freaking fluid dynamics, you can see how that's going to flow through the house. You know, it, it's one of those things of where, you know, people should be taking their, 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 their prints they're doing now, you know, if they want to sell these things and they want to say, hey, guess what? This is what this is going to do. I, can, I need to be able to take that into SolidWorks or into AutoCAD, mostly SolidWorks, and throw it through the gamut of being tested. Because SolidWorks will do it for you without even having to print it. By the time you print it, you have the most efficient piece of, piece of equipment that you've ever printed. If you don't have access to Siemens and X, um, which most people do not, yeah. put it that way. Um, the ability to get SolidWorks and the ability to find somebody who is trained in SolidWorks, especially trained in how to do the the the, the, um, uh, the CFD and uh, or computational fluid dynamics in SolidWorks is easier to find. You know, I could, I could be thinking outside the box here by saying, hey, guess what? You know, self-test your stuff before you build it. Yeah, I, I think you're, you know, that's that's going to be the, the difference between when we say industrial. You know, industrial means uh, um, technology that, you know, uses powder mm -hmm. as opposed to using a wire or mm -hmm. as opposed to using uh, thermoplastics or things like that. Um but I think quality-wise, if, if, we're, if we're trying to, say, if you're a hobbyist and you're trying to get to, hey, I want to improve the quality, um, then, you know, obviously, quality of a resin printer, um, if you're looking for something aesthetic, is better. But if you're looking for strength, you're going to want something that's, you know, that's, you know, uh, filament mm -hmm. or uh, a, a special type of filament that can do metal or do some type of alloy or ceramics. So it just depends on what you want. If, you, if you're you know, looking to play a game of uh, Dungeons and Dragons and you want everything to be nice, you know, Warhammer, you want to point, paint up the figures or whatever, then yeah, you, you know, off all means go that way. However, but if you're trying to do things where, hey, I have this part on my car, you know, it's, it's not a structural part, and I want to see if I can get you know, better airflow or uh, maybe I want to see if I can do something to, to do airflow with my turbo on my car to get more RPM out of it or something like that. Or, hey, I, I got these new lights I want to try, LED lights, but I don't want to, you know, pay for a whole nother, you know, lens to go into my car. But I want to just take parts off of this lens and just have a frame that I can put in place just mm -hmm. to see what the uh, focus is or the focal point. Then those are the things you would do in a hobbyist environment to to improve the quality because to be honest right now it's, it's just toys and um, widgets and uh, you know maybe I print a little sign or something that's that's mostly what the hobbyist uh, market is right now it's, it's, it's not like say Xerox <laughs> where they're you know doing things that are you know making taking powders or taking uh, materials and turning it into metal I mean mm -hmm. it's like wow we're not taking a piece of metal and, um, you know, subtracting material. We're 
adding material and making these things. And, and these mm -hmm. alloys, some of these alloys that they're making are, are really strong alloys. Like it, there are some applications that people 3D print titanium and stuff like that. So I, for, for me, I think the big thing when we talk quality between the hobbyists and industrial, that's it. Um, and in industrial also, they control the, the chamber. They also control the temperature in mm -hmm. the chamber. That they also can control the wire feed or the filament if they're using a filament type application. They have something that will auto change the filament before it runs out. So they don't run into those issues. So I think that's in, in volume. And to be honest, they can do more volume than, say, a hobby sprinter can do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. You, you actually were just talking about something that I wanted to bring up earlier. The uh, multiple material units, mm -hmm. the MMUs, Prusa has one, uh, Mosaic has one, uh, the ba Bamboo Labs that just came out with the, the, the X1 came out, has, has one on there as well. But, but to me, I think that that's, that's an added benefit and that's an added piece of, uh, like how many times do you, can you think of a, like a print or something that's not, maybe it's not one material. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's PLA and PETG not mixed together, but like different different parts. Like mm -hmm. if uh, you you think about a um, like a like a sponge, it's not the same material. I mean, it may be the same material, but it's not the same feel on each side. So mm -hmm. you could do one side and it could be a bit rougher, and then on the other side it's a softer mm -hmm. material, mm -hmm. or maybe a handle and the other side's rougher, and you're trying to like maybe mm -hmm. work on something in that sense. So an MMU to me, yes. I kind of view it as like my next toy, uh, and 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 it's going to be used to think to, to develop things that are like probably going to be you know color uh, like coasters or, or things like that or or hell even um, I saw what was it a flag they were making a flag in red white and blue without you having to do any painting that takes that step out hmm. and and honestly I would probably trust a three D printer and its G code in making a perfect star or perfect shape than my hand because I am a terrible artist. There's a reason why I'm printing and I'm not modeling it out of clay. So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's a reason why I use a computer and I'm not writing it with my pen, so. And believe it or not, there's some application where they use modeling clay mm -hmm. for jewelry. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, that they're using metallic-based modeling clay that uh, they're using for jewelry applications. Oh, I didn't know Yeah, that. they pour it in and it disappears. Oh, that's cool. Um, they also use a 3D printer to print everything out, and you pour it in there, and it melts out the bottom of it. Is, so, it, not, is it like a like a, it's a like subtractive tone? Yeah. Like, so they have to. No, like... they well they pour the molten steel or molten metal into it, and as it as it goes, you'll see the the plastic actually melt out the bottom. Okay, that's really cool. That's so cool. It, it's pretty much like hydroforming at a, at a yeah. at, you know at a certain extent. Usually, a lot of the times they do it when they're doing it inside the um uh the sand forms. Okay. It's, um, it's the exact same principle. Yeah, because I was going to so, say yeah. with the hips filament, it's like you, you it, it generates the supports and you um, you do a chemical reaction to melt the supports away. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it makes sense. I yeah. just never knew. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, it's like, you know, a lot of stuff when you start going, you know, into the, the industrial side of the house from, from the hobbyist, one thing that can make your hobbyist prints even better is moving away from your standard slicers. You know, I'm not going to, I don't want to, you know, don't build your, your 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 widget thing, whatever, inside the slicer. Get external CAD software. Some of them are free now. Um, to build in. You know, get in there and and, and try that. 
because, you know, it all starts and doesn't start with just the, the printer itself or, you know, the human being that's operating it or anything like that. It's the software that's used to create the initial model because whatever, because, you know, the old saying of garbage in, garbage out. If the model is garbage going in, it's going to be garbage on the other side. And, you know, the thing is, is you have a 95% chance you're going to get a spaghetti monster on the other end of it. Can confirm. You know, so if you start with AutoCAD or Tinkercad or FreeCAD, for that matter, if you're in a Linux-based system, you can go all the way through. And some of them are, like I said, some of them are free. And all of them are web-based. You can do it at work while you're sitting on your thumbs. Mm-hmm. You know, waiting on your next meeting. Been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you can turn around and print off the end of the day. You mm-hmm. save it in an STL, load it into your, into your slicer, slice to get the G code, and send it to the printer. Don't touch it after that. And, and to build on that, like I said, the, the beautiful thing right now is uh, the advances in uh, digital photography and uh, the cameras that we have now are, are, I mean, way advanced from what we had back when we had the Polaroids where you could shake the picture. Yeah. Um, now you can take a camera and take 20 or so images. You uh, upload this into a program called Meshroom. And then in Meshroom, you can uh, what they call inflate the uh, picture, um, and then you can export that into um, Blender, and in Blender you can clean it up, and then you can uh, export that as an ST fi- STL file into whatever application. So basically, you can take the real thing in life, and with a few pictures, I mean, you can do 20, but they, they recommend up to 100. But uh, like there are some key things you have to do with that. You have to make sure that your uh, lens focus is the same, you have to make sure that your resolution stays the same. You have to stay in portrait and don't go between portrait and landscape. And then you also have to, you know, pay attention to the orientation of the the object because if you would be uh, probably, you know, well, hey, I got the idea to just put it on a plate and let it spin. Well, that's good, but you have to think about lighting and mm. how that will affect the image. So you just have to take these pictures at different angles without changing the focus of the lens and what that does is is that gives you the opportunity to take something that you would maybe have to um, author yourself in maybe two or three days that you can do in maybe two or three hours and you would be ready to print yeah i just had a quick a quick thought because i think that that's wonderful and that's also something that we've kind of been touching on these past couple Mm -hmm. couple episodes because um in my mind it wouldn't be like an apple, I wouldn't put an apple down. I want to print that apple. Mm-hmm. In my mind, a more applicable case would be I broke this. Like, let's say I have a baby gate. My, you know, my brother has a baby gate. Uses it to keep the dogs out. Mm-hmm. The dog, like the dogs, you know, they want to get to the other side. They keep nosing it. Mm-hmm. They keep pushing. They keep pushing. That latch snapped. It's it's plastic. So now I have a snapped piece of uh, a, a latch on that baby gate. Um, well, I want to set that those two broken pieces, or at least whatever I could find, on there and have it scan that, and then attach those back to each other in in an in an AutoCAD type software. So yeah. I'm not saying it's possible. Well, I'm just saying that would, that's what I would that's what I would be using it for. I mean, you you could because in like I said, uh, basically you would uh, take the image just and put them into the software. The software would generate it into a inflate basically it become yeah. a 3d uh, object in their fi- in their file format yeah 
um, and then you would put it into say Blender and in Blender you can do these things you can move these things and uh, even make different layers if you needed to yeah. to see you know how it meshes together but what I, I would do is okay if you got a camera that um, or you have cameras and you have a Raspberry Pi why not take a little bit of AI hmm. and say hey I have this image look at where it's sheared and tell me um, where it needs to go back okay. and then you take that that picture exactly like you said and the AI fixes it just like just like we were talking about with Siemens yeah. when they took the AI to look at the flow and it came up with the alternate shape mm -hmm. so you just go backwards mm -hmm. That that makes makes sense. Sense. I just saying that's that's what I would use for a hobbyist side. Like that's the I see broken things all the time, and I'm like, hey, I can 3D print that. You don't need to buy a whole new anything. I can probably 3D print that piece. Yeah. So that's just my thought process. And you know that with that, you know we'll we'll kind of you know close it out, you know for this time around. And you know I again you know we want to you know take the time saying thank you. You know, everybody who's listening, you know, we're freaking just a, you know, a couple of days we can talk about the hell we like to talk about. And if you want to listen to us, we more than more than appreciate it. You know, um, honestly, there's more y'all to listen to us now than they do at work. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I want to take the time to, you know, to, to say thank you and to, um, you know, have, you know, take that time and, you know, go from there. And, but I want to turn it over to the guys for the, you know, the, the final, you know, parting shots for the night and, you know, set it off. Uh, as always, we appreciate everybody listening and we uh, uh, thank you for the support. Um, we'll keep uh, getting on here talking about <laughs> things that we're interested in and things that uh, we got ideas about, whether we write about everything or not. Uh, we just like to, uh, like anybody else, like to mm -hmm. hear ourselves talk. Yeah. So, uh, usually, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I'm gonna be honest. Never a hundred percent right about everything. So, if if anybody listening is is wants to even have a discussion about any of that stuff, yeah, we welcome it. Definitely. Like, please tell us we're wrong or teach us why we're wrong. That's why we ask these questions. And honestly, that's how we got on these tangents is because we kept asking questions. And then when both of us didn't or none of us had an answer, we got to go find the answer. So we are our own squirrels. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that squirrel. Squirrel. Yeah, squirrel. That happens yeah. like all day. Yeah. So so thank you everyone. Um, yeah, Nick's right. Uh, they're probably tired about it, hearing about it at work, but um, you guys aren't. So we'll, we'll talk to you more. <laughs> we'll focus on you guys and and thanks for everyone for listening. All right, y'all. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Tech at Lunch podcast, where we hope you learn something about tech during your break, or during your lunchtime. If you did, please give us a follow to prevent missing future episodes. If you have any ideas or something you want to hear or learn about, please send us a show idea to podcast at vulcanora.com. Hope you have a good rest of the day and continue learning.